Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. This is Francis Martin reporting for the Church Times from the Scottish Episcopal Church's General Synod in Edinburgh. And I'm here with the Bishop of Moray, Ross and Kathness, the Most Reverend Mark Strange, who is the Primus of the Scottish Episcopal Church. Thank you, Primus, for taking the time to speak with me. Not at all. This has been the first General Synod in hybrid form. You've had the overwhelming majority of members uh, in person in this church, uh, and then a few uh, joining online. How do you think it's worked out, and what's it been like to meet back in person? Oh, to meet back in person has just been wonderful. All, all the all the tensions you might have in advance of, you know, what, what's so-and-so going to say, how's that going to work? And suddenly you're back in the company of people you often you've known for a long time. And, and, and human relationship takes over again. So it's not who says what to whom, it's actually, you know, who are we? How, how are you? You know, that you can see people's reactions. You can see how they're smiling or if they're looking anxious. I mean, all sorts of those tricks of body which we haven't seen. Um, and just, I mean, last night I was out for dinner with my own diocese, and I mean, that was just an absolute joy. Um, synod dinner, you know, and the business, I mean, during the time that we were online, we did the business, but it was quite, it was quite short and quite stilted because people were all on, on Zoom. The, the people I feel for are the ones who couldn't be here, who were, were, were there, and it's, it's, when you're chairing a session, it's quite difficult with those who are on the screen to, to keep remembering they're there. Um, but no, 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 to be back face to face is wonderful. <laughs> Excellent. The environment has been something of a golden thread in discussions at Synod from your opening charge to you know, various of the discussions. What particular challenges does the Scottish Episcopal Church face in this respect? And do you see progress being made? I think one of the greatest challenges is that people immediately look at what we need to do and think about closing things, think about um, how can we do that in my own diocese in the Highlands, you know, everyone uses oil and how can we stop doing So there's, the, the first thing to overcome I think is to say to people this can be done, we, we can achieve this but we can only do that by working together and having the courage to to change those things. I mean to be perfectly honest the fact of the, the, the getting it sorted and I live in a house that's not freezing cold sounds like a delight to me. But I think it's it's also making sure that we as a church don't just sound like any other institution who is doing what we need to do because that looks the right thing to. We need to really feel this inside. So it's to continue that process that we did with our season of creation last year of actually encouraging people to pray through this, to think through this, to be people of faith about the issues. Of course we've got an issue. I've got a, a large cathedral in Inverness with a ceiling which, you know, is you need binoculars to see what the etchings are. How do I insulate that? That's those are questions we have to address. But for me the really important thing is to get people to work together in the knowledge that it's not just how it affects us, it how it affects the world, how it affects those in the in particularly in the global south. Uh, the image of watching um, archbishops on, on islands as as the you know, and videos as the water begins to lap over their own territory. 
this is something we all have to work out. And as people of faith, we need to be something we are prepared to pray at as well. Last year, the St Andrew's Declaration brought the Scottish Episcopal Church closer to the Church of Scotland. A year on, how do you think this has affected the life of the Church in Scotland? I think that entirely depends on where in Scotland you live. I mean, for, for, for many of us in rural Scotland, those quite close relationships have been developing anyway, because churches have been closing, particularly Church of Scotland churches. Uh, Christian communities tend to... People no longer make a decision about going to church based upon a denomination. It's about going to a church where they're going to be loved and, and presented with Christ. So in our more rural communities, this is just, I suppose, in a way, enabling, um, without having to think they're, they're doing things secretly, to say, you know, we can work together, we can do what we need together, we can, we can enable, for example, the Church of Scotland to sustain its ability to, to preach in every parish. Uh, so sometimes that's us that having to, you know, who do that. I think in cities it's more difficult because, you know, there are more churches, um, people uh, are quite fluid in, in, in where they, they move around. So I think that time will tell. And clearly there are some issues which we knew were there at the time. Um, people making assumptions about what this actually meant and didn't mean, particularly in, 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 in how, you, how, you, how you live your, your worshipping life. But I have to say, through the pandemic, I've closely worked with the moderators closely worked with the Church of Scotland office in a way which hasn't happened before. And if we really want a Scotland of faith, then we've got to make it work. On Thursday, the day that Synod began, an article appeared in the Times, not the Church Times, um, reporting that the office of Scottish Charity Regulator was, was investigating a statement made by the Treasurer in Aberdeen and Orkney, and that in a trustees meeting it was suggested that claims of bullying by the bishop there should be ignored. Um, this is a story that refuses to go away. How can the church do better and how can it heal? Well, where we are at the moment is that the, we're in a canonical process which has enabled us to, for, for a mediation process to start because for me, this is about people actually engaging with each other and to get to the point where they can genuinely speak face-to-face -face with each other. Throwing, no, no offence to the press, but throwing stories around the press. It's that sense of coming together. Now that process is going to take some time. That's a canonical process of the church. And so until that's concluded, it's very difficult for me to say what, what, what next, what, what's due. But, but I believe, I have to believe, that the process which enables things to become settled is people to be in a relationship. Is there any sense for how much longer that process will take, do you think? Yeah, the mediation process, will, will, the people who are running that will, will work on that and we will work with it. You spoke yesterday uh, in Synod about the upcoming Lambeth Conference and you mentioned how previously it has felt uncomfortable to be a Scottish Episcopalian uh, within those meetings of the Anglican Communion. Um, how do you expect it to feel this year? Well, yesterday I was, I was relating to the primates meetings because, because clearly once we had made changes to our marriage canon there, there was, I had a lot of questions to answer um, and that was really quite tricky. 
Um, and that flowing through the life of the communion has been there you know, for so many years now. My real feeling is that as the world is facing all the issues that we've already talked about, you know, what happens with the climate, etc., as, as churches realize that if we are to be faithful to Christ, then in fact, again, we have to be relational about that. The tensions aren't, don't run away. For me, the sadness is that there are provinces that won't be there. So how can I have a conversation with them? I'm anticipating a far more, peaceful is not the word I really want to use. I don't want it to be peaceful. I think a Lambeth which is, has far more fellowship within it. I think that the gender balance will be very different than it was before. I certainly have traveled the length and breadth of the world almost, just engaging with people, trying to make sure that um, when they're having an argument about, say, matters of sexuality, they're having an argument with someone they've, they've met, they know. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to it because it's where you build up relationships in parts of the world you might know nothing about. It is always easy within the Anglican Communion because our structure is such that, you know, as I always re remark, the Archbishop of Canterbury is the primus of the Anglican Communion. I mean, he's, he doesn't have authority over each province, but he has to try and hold that together. There's always going to be moments of tension when you don't have you know, the single authority figure. But actually, my experience of the Communion over the last five years is that slowly but surely we have learned to love each other again. And we'll see what happens at the end of the 30 weeks. You are, in a sense, the only uh, Scottish survivor from the most recent Lambeth Conference, 2008. Um, so 14 years ago, back then, um, Bishop Jean Robinson, who was the, at that point the only openly gay diocesan bishop in the Anglican Communion, uh, wasn't invited. Uh, and this year, uh, the same-sex spouses of bishops haven't been invited. Uh, a decision that um, your colleague, the, the Bishop of Argyll in the Isles, described yesterday as a, as a plain injustice. Nonetheless, do you see that as progress? I think what I, I'm aware of as progress is that um, much as that decision would not be something I could approve of, because you know the, the you know the whole position of where they put the Scottish Episcopal churches, but I am aware that conversations have taken place about what would have happened if those invitations had been granted. And it's not really for me to say how that works. It's for those whose spouses have not been invited. And it's whether or not... The impression I get, and I could be, I could be wrong, is that they want, they want those of us there who can voice our unhappiness with that to be heard at Lambeth rather than boycotting Lambeth. So that sense of, and I know our own spouses have a very firm opinion on, on what has happened, and I suspect that they will make that quite clear when they're there. So I, I think for me, it's not right, but whatever's going on, that has to be the conversation between the Archbishop of Canterbury and a conversation I know he's been having. For me, my prayer is that we can get beyond this um, as soon as possible. We shouldn't be judging people's attentive to something based upon on the love they show for someone else. Coming back to Synod, uh, an environment in which 
people are, are very fond of analogies. Um, one might suggest that a synod is akin to an annual health check for the church, looking at the finances, policies, procedures, liturgy, um, and the church's fitness to face future challenges. Overall, now that synod has concluded, how would you assess the general health of the Scottish Episcopal Church? I think we're in good health. Far better health than I anticipated as we went through lockdown. I mean, some of those early moments when I was celebrating the Eucharist from the, from the little loft above my my office um, and broadcasting, uh, you can think, when, how will we ever come out of this? But in fact, people have been remarkably faithful. I think people have at times put aside the positions they might have held, you know, the strong, strident positions they held, because they know that the church has another more important task to do, which is to, to, to rebuild, help rebuild the communities that, that, that we serve. I think if you listen to the, to the way we've looked at financial matters this time, it's about sharing our resources with each other. It's, it's not about saying, you need to give me, it's how can we give to you to enable the church to continue to do its work. Um, I think, from, certainly from my own experience in my own diocese, people are just so delighted that they can be openly um, affirming their faith to suddenly take that away from people. They looked into a dark space and, and, and now they can become together again. So if, if we can't use that as a strength, we can't use those emotions in a way, which I think we did here, I think we did enable people to have their say, but also to talk about a future. For me, yeah. I was in a worship recently in a congregation that I hadn't been able to get to for three years, which for me in the Highlands is unusual. I was slightly anxious when I got there that they would be, they don't meet in a church building, they meet in a community building. And as they came in, these two elderly ladies saw me who'd been quite cross with what we'd done. And they both burst into tears and gave me a hug. That's not the sign of an ill church, that's a sign of a loving and healthy church. Uh, I think what we have done this week has shown that. We've just got to keep working to make sure we don't slip backwards. Thank you, Primus, for your time. Thank you. And readers of the Church Times can read full reports from the Synod in the 17th of June uh, issue, and of course online. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.